From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. And welcome back once more to the Cannabis Podcast. If this is the first time you're paying us a visit, well, an especially warm welcome. I hope you're interested in cannabis information, because that's pretty well what we're going to be talking about for the next 30 or 40 minutes or so. Let me remind you that this program is intended only for those 19 or older in your jurisdiction and is intended purely for entertainment purposes. You should always consume your cannabis responsibly. In this episode, well... There's a whole lot happening in the retail sector again. The city of Vernon has decided to revisit their bylaws and change their cannabis laws a little bit. And we also look at retailers suing the province over lack of action over illegal on-reserve pot shops. And we're going to look at a story from Canopy Growth. I'm sorry to say, but once again, their workforce has diminished a little bit. And a special piece from OkanaganZ.com on perhaps the missing piece in legalization. And that's the fact they haven't figured out that tourism could be a big part of that. Plus, we're going to review the time we spent at the BC Cannabis Summit at 420 this year. Fabulous time up on the rooftop. Tell you all about that. And on Cultivar Corner, Earth Wolf Farms Romulan Grape God Bubble Hash. Tastes about as good as it sounds. Plus a whole lot more on episode 96 of the Cannabis Podcast. And before we get started, let me again thank the folks who are helping me do the Cannabis Podcast, and those are my subscribers. There's a few who have been with me for a few months now. J.S., Jordana, Kevin, Lloyd, and William, so glad you're helping me out and appreciate your support. In addition to the subscribers, there's also those who just regularly support me by buying me doobies. And Rob, dude, thank you so much. Rob has done this a number of times. I mean, a number of times. And this time he bought me three doobies. He picked up a sticker. He picked up one of the visual cultivar so that he could take a peek at that as well. Rob, really, really appreciate your support. Thank you, dude. Not much more I can say, but thanks. And if you feel so inclined because you like what you hear and you'd like to support as well, you can check it out at buymeacoffee.com slash cannabis podcast. All of the options are there for you to explore. Now let's get to our first story. Well, actually... We're going to talk about the 420 Cannabis Summit, because it was a blast. Happened, of course, on 420 this last year, this last week. (laughs) Was it already a year ago, Gary? (laughs) No, actually, I think it was just a week ago. Had a blast. It started at 420 on April 20th, 420. And I have to throw out just a tremendous thank you and accolades to the Hotel El Dorado. What a show they put on, and what a show they allowed to happen. It was fabulous. It was truly a a great event. Everybody who was there was just stoked. The statement I heard probably the most often was, here we are talking about cannabis in a legal cannabis market. It was astounding. And I haven't even talked about the rooftop consumption lounge yet. (laughs) The conference itself opened in a very emotional and profound way on day two with an introductory speech by Roxanne Lindley, the former chief of the West Bank First Nation. What a speaker. She had the audience riveted from the time she opened her mouth. 
and she had a very powerful message to tell as well. Of course, the big key part of that recognition of the traditional territory on which the conference was in fact being held. And not only recognition of the territory, but recognition of the indigenous ways and the indigenous culture and the indigenous heritage that has long been associated with cannabis and a recognition of that fact. It, it was very, very emotional. She was, she was quite the speaker. And that really set a powerful tone to continue to recognize the indigenous ways and the foundation with which they have brought to this industry and, and to the land and, and the recognition of the land itself. That set a pretty good tone for us to begin. And then it started with a series of panels. Pretty well everything was panel discussions about various topics associated to cannabis, from stigmatizing cannabis, or rather destigmatizing cannabis to create jobs, to a panel with the BC government and their policy update. Some members of parliament were there. It was really a fascinating discussion. There's a whole lot of detail, and obviously I can't detail all of it for you in an episode of the Cannabis Podcast. A lot of it is available online. I encourage you to, to dig up the details if you want to dive into some of that. There was some government representation. I spoke about the rooftop lounge, which I'm just about to get to. <laughs> and we were visited by a local city councillor and a local member of parliament. So it was nice to have that political representation up on the rooftop while everybody was smoking joints all around them. I'm not quite sure how they felt about that, but they were there and I'll give them credit for that. And the closing ceremonies for day number one also included some political commentary from a local politician, and that was Mayor Colin Bazran. It was a pleasure to see him. My wife used to work for him, so I went up and chatted with him a bit before he began his speech. It was really nice, again, to feel the welcoming nature that the city brought to the cannabis environment. The cannabis community said, we're here, and we're here to welcome you. I also have to recognize the tourism CEO, or rather, let me express it correctly so that we know exactly who she is, because she also spoke to open the conference. She is the CEO of Tourism Kelowna, and that is Lizanne Ballantyne. And she had a fabulous presentation as well. And I heard many people mention the fact that just because she was there was very, very important. Again, it helped to identify that perhaps that stigma is going away and there is some better recognition of the fact that cannabis can be and should be a major part of our economies. So that was nice representation as well. And now before I get too distracted, let's get to that rooftop consumption lounge. <laughs> he was fabulous. <laughs> it felt so good to be back, to be, to be in an environment where just like pre-legalization days when you had a gathering and there were people who smoked dope there, they just smoked dope there. They didn't worry about where they were and, and what the setting was. And, and it felt just like that. You look around this, I mean, the, what a gorgeous setting. On the rooftop of the Hotel El Dorado overlooking Okanagan Lake. And yeah, if you haven't been there, you should pop by sometime because it's a pretty gorgeous view. And the sun shone for a little bit. There was also a bit of rain, which of course happens sometimes at that time of the year. But there was enough sunshine for people to realize what an environment it was. And when you add to that, the fact that here we are once again, smoking joints, in the sunshine, on the rooftop, ah, in front of city councillors, ah, <laughs> it was amazing. Now, now, should I say that 
we perhaps weren't following COVID rules? (laughs) Look, as I'm sure you understand, if, if you are a consumer of cannabis, which you probably are if you're listening to this podcast, then you'll get it. A group of people standing around smoking joints. What are you going to do? You're going to pass it on. You're going to take it. And then you're going to pass it on. (laughs) Now, I have not heard of any major outbreaks occurring after. I mean, we're some time after the conference now. So if some of that was going to happen, I'm sure it would have by now, which I see as a pretty encouraging sign. (laughs) One of the oddest moments for me on the rooftop lounge uh, (laughs) is uh, one of my buddies, Ty, was up there. And we were standing there and and there was a girl in in front of us and she handed a container to us. And inside there was some pre-rolls and we each grabbed one. And off she went and (laughs) we turned to each other and said, yeah, we have no idea what this is. (laughs) And previously we had been talking about how no, it's always nice to know what you're smoking so you can get some sense of what the effect might be. But in this case, we didn't. We just each took a joint. And in fact, in this case, we each just lit it ourselves and smoked the whole damn thing. <laughs> it was a blast. Uh, l- let me give some shout outs to some people that were up on the roof. Claire, had a blast meeting you. Eric, Sarah, Ty, Thomas, Ali, London. I could go on. But I also want to recognize the people who run the panel that I was on the stigma in the digital communications age. Uh, And that was Joyce, Anna, the Cannabinista, Kaya, and Ian. It was a pleasure to join you all on stage. There was some fairly spirited discussion, I must say, about problems in social media. And I found it, again, a little bit ironic that I have never had any of those issues with a username of Cannabis Podcast. And all I talk about, all I post in terms of pictures is cannabis. (laughs) But during the course of the panel, I actually came to the discovery that it might be that I just don't have enough followers that they're too worried about what I'm posting. (laughs) But that's okay. I can live with that. That's, That's the reality of the world. But that was one facet of the discussion that we had in relation to that. It was a fabulous conference. Uh, They're hoping to do another one. This was the inaugural one. I'm hoping it's going to be annual. So congratulations to the BC Craft Farmers Co-op and to the Association of Cannabis Retailers, which actually, I should tell you, is now renamed. It's now the BC Cannabis Retail Council. I think the name makes a lot of sense. So good on you for choosing a new name, and good on both of your organizations for putting on a fabulous conference. You should all be proud. The conference produced a number of resolutions, which all of the delegates voted on, and a number of them very, very important, and I'm hoping they will have some impact. And in fact, I'll detail or perhaps summarize those resolutions for you in the next episode so you know exactly what we talked about and where we hope the cannabis industry is headed. It was a great inaugural conference, and I cannot wait until 420 in 2023. From the cannabis-infused studio in the clouds, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Oh, right. Cannabis infusion. Good thing I took care of that. Actually, I, I took care of that rather well today. <laughs> Cryptochronic number two flower rosin from Sugarbud. Used that in my new little toy. Picked up the grab straw and a concentrate tray. Works really well. It's about the simplest dab piece I've ever tried. Uh, my history with dabs not too good because I broke a really nice rig I had and 
I just haven't had the heart to buy another one for fear I'm going to break it too. So I just picked this up to give it a try. And I tried the sugar buds. Whoa. <laughs> so if things go off the rail a little bit, I'm going to blame that. Let's get to our first story. I've got actually a couple of stories from our local news source, castanet.net. And this one talks about Okanagan cannabis retailers suing the province over illegal on-reserve pot shops. A group of cannabis retailers in the Okanagan and Shushwap is suing the province, alleging it has failed to enforce the Cannabis Control and Licensing Act on First Nations reserves. The lawsuit was filed in the Supreme Court of British Columbia in Victoria this week. The notice of claim alleges the cannabis sold on reserves is not produced in accordance with the regulatory regime set out in the Federal Cannabis Act. The plaintiffs include 14 numbered companies in Kelowna, Vernon, Penticton, Salmon Arm, and a handful of other communities in the region. They claim that according to comments by the Minister of Public Safety and Deputy Premier Mike Farnworth in the legislature in July 2020, there's been a proliferation of unlicensed retail outlets on reserves. The suit goes on to say that while the Community Safety Unit of the Ministry of Public Safety and Solicitor General took enforcement actions against more than 70 unlicensed cannabis retails and removed approximately $25 million worth of products from the market by the end of 2021, none of that enforcement was against unlicensed sellers on reserves. The plaintiffs allege the government told retailers in 2019 that enforcement measures would be taken against sellers on reserves. The claim says the failure to enforce the Cannabis Control and Licensing Act denied the plaintiffs the opportunity to take measures to protect themselves against illicit retailers by avoiding or minimizing their investment in operating licensed cannabis stores. The retailers are seeking damages of at least $40 million and want an order forcing the province to prohibit unlicensed cannabis sales on reserves. And for a different perspective on retail, another story from castanet.net, this on the city of Vernon realizing that they needed to change their bylaws a little bit. No concerns were raised at a public hearing Monday nights over two changes to Vernon's cannabis bylaws. City Council gave third reading to two bylaw amendments that will affect future cannabis retail applications. One change will add a proximity buffer of 500 meters from other cannabis stores and 250 meters from schools. The second will add a lapse provision for inactive cannabis applications. A bit of a sidebar, if you don't mind. <laughs> That's a great idea, because when we were going through the process of just before our store opened and I appeared before City Council to discuss another application for a store that was within our boundaries, that's when I realized that our city council had no idea that of the 20 stores they had licensed to that point, that only three of them were open at that point. They had no idea. That's a part of the law that still needs some clarity between the province and the municipalities. There's such a disparity of knowledge and understanding there. End of sidebar. An application for a cannabis retail store business license will lapse if the application is inactive for a period greater than 24 months, says the amendment. Should the applicant wish to continue with their application, a new application and application fee will be required. That change is intended to flush out stores that are filling a spot, city staff said earlier on in the process. In January, Councillor Kelly Fair said Council doesn't need to start regulating what cannabis shops do. I don't shop at pot shops. I don't smoke pot, he said. It is a completely different issue than alcohol. Alcohol has higher death rates, health and policing costs. We have talked to RCMP and bylaw here, and they have no issues with pot shops whatsoever in our community. However, Councillor Carl Gares said council should keep in mind that cannabis is a controlled substance and should be treated as such. 
We shouldn't forget that very big distinction, she said. I can't stress enough, it is a controlled substance. It is legal, but it is a controlled substance. It's not like going into your Tim Hortons and buying a cup of coffee. Oh, <laughs> sidebar. <laughs> mm, you can perhaps hear my blood boiling. <laughs> Talk about stigma. Talk about stigma. Using the term like controlled substance to, to get away with being completely stigmatized. Or, oh, holy. Okay. I just need to take a breath <laughs> and realize the world will still go on. Wow. That is, uh, I mean, it's. I'm glad they're they're realizing they have to change and, and, and control their, their shops, which are a little too close and, and too many. But boy, there is still such ignorance about cannabis out there. <laughs> Let's hope it changes sometime. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Cultivar Corner, Cultivar Corner, oh yeah. Cultivar Corner, please explain this stuff to me. On Cultivar Corner today, we're doing something that I highlighted a couple episodes ago in relation to uh, the interview that kind of went wrong. <laughs> or at least behind the scenes went wrong. The interview went actually quite well. Hash. That's what I'm talking about. And that's what we're doing on Cultivar Corner today. And this is from Earth Wolf Farms. This is their Romulan Grape God Bubble Hash. Here's the details on the Grape Bubble Hash. Let me pull up their website as well. I do want to give you some information about Earth Wolf Farms, which is a division of WhistlerTherapeutics.com. So what's the goods on Romulan Grape God Bubble Hash? How about 52.2% THC? That's right up where I like to be. And the other cool thing about them showing us on the packaging is a bunch of the other cannabinoids, not just the terpenes. I know there's some CBG in this, uh, about 3.10% of CBG, cannabigerol, that's kind of cool. CBC, cannabichromine, 1.40%. There's also some THCV, tetrahydrocannabivarin, at 0.30%. That's a bit of an appetite suppressant. Total terpenes, 5.3%. And the terpenes are, in order of appearance, beta-myrcene, 2.1. Alpha-pinene, 1.1. Beta-pinene, 0.5. Beta-caryophylline, 0.4. And alpha-cedrine, 0.2%. There's the terpenes that are residing in this lovely bubble hash. You can kind of get a sense of, of what's in there. Uh, packed, of course, in a piece of parchment paper. Now, this is not what I originally bought. <laughs> I have smoked a considerable amount of this. That's why the amount you see is the amount you see. But really a nice hash taste. Not terribly effervescent. Um, perhaps not as, as much as some. But uh, definitely a good effect, as you're about to see. And I, of course, have shot some video, which will show you some of the other components of it. In order to do some hash, we're going to use pipe. I got my little Sherlock Holmes uh, pipe, some borisolate glass. I always have trouble with that word if I can't see it written out in front of me. <laughs> but this one has not been broken yet, and I find it's a good pipe for smoking some hash. So I'm just going to take a chunk like that. 
and I'm going to stick it in the pipe itself. Now, when I do the hash, I generally don't like to use a butane lighter on the hash, so that's when I find these hemp wicks really, really useful. So let me get that lit. And then we can take a hit off the hash without any of that butane. So this is, again, let me be specific, from Earthworth Farms, Earth Wolf Farms, it's hard to say, Romulan and Grapes God Bubble Hash, 52.2% THC. Mm. When you use the wick, you really do get a chance to taste the hashish. I found when I've been lazy and just throw the butane lighter on that, you really don't get the taste profile and you're missing a lot. Oh. And my goodness sakes, you saw it. That was one hit. I've already got happy eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's never been an opportunity for Gary to stop. So let me get my wick lit again. And I'm going in for toke number two. Mm. Oh, I really love the taste of that. I'm not getting any grape god specific taste but boy oh boy is that ever tasty and <laughs> holy crap a mundo <laughs> a little cough sensation <laughs> and holy moly see this is what happened to me when i smoked this prior to doing the interview I wasn't thinking that I could do three or four hits and like totally lose it. But boy, did I underestimate. <laughs> and now I'm kind of recreating that sensation. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's why you do hash. <laughs> Especially something as nice as this bubble hash from Earth Wolf Farms. Really lovely, folks. Let me tell you a little bit more about Earth Wolf Farms. In 2014, it was a local couple. Now, I believe they're in Lillooet. That's where I think the local is. They started an organic hops farm there and named it after the Latin name for hops, Shumulus lupulus. Earth Wolf Farms was born. The hops industry has left town, and today the farm is the site of our f flagship cannabis cultivation site. Hops still continue to grow here, and they continue to add a diversity of species other than cannabis as they build their permaculture paradise. Sounds very much like paradise. And the first product they talk about is their bubble hash. All products start with the isolation of trichomes from fresh frozen cannabis using ice water extraction. We use our own proprietary ice water extraction equipment to create bubble hash, which can then be dried or used in our TERP reactor. Our extraction equipment is of the highest sanitary standard, 
producing medical grade in the cleanest way possible, while retaining the natural flavors of the plant to bring a unique experience from the mountainous terroir of beautiful British Columbia. We distribute our products under our Earthwolf, Earthwolf Farm brand. <laughs> when you're creating a company name, here's a suggestion. Try to say that name five times fast. And if it's difficult, maybe rethink that. <laughs> Earthwolf Farms. Earth Wolf Farms. There, I think I've finally gotten it. I definitely have gotten stone. Oh, see that? See what I almost did? I almost took that lazy approach and took a hit. Another hit of hashish using my butane lighter and I lose the flavor. Bad boy. Nice, this pipe has a lovely little carb hole. Oh, wow. It's one of my favorite ways of smoking hashish. Just in a nice little pipe, you get such a burst of flavor. And you get so gall darn high. <laughs> wow. If you like your hashish, and, and, and you're... You're not fussy about how it's compressed. I can see some people complaining about the fact that this is really, really loose. And, and if you're not careful, it can kind of fall out of your little parchment paper holder pretty easily. Um, and, and it was pretty full when I first got it. But I'm happy with it. I can deal with any hash. I can deal with the black gummy hash from the Afghanistan-like stuff. The really hard-packed black blonde Lebanese that, that's coming around a lot lately. And now this... Stuff kind of like a dry sift, but but a little firmer than a dry sift, but easily becomes dry sift pretty easily. So, do you have a preference? Is there a particular type of hashish which is your absolute favorite? Send me a note. Let me know what that is. I guess mine is still Blonde Lebanese. Anything that is Blonde Lebanese-ish <laughs> is still something I really enjoy. Although, I have to say, Earthworth, Earth... Wolf Farms Romulan Grape God Bubble Hash has sure done the trick <laughs> one more time. <sighs> and now we're going to mjbizdaily.com for our next story. This was written by Matt Lemers, the international editor. Unfortunately, Canopy Growth, we've talked about them a few times, and it seems every time we're talking about their workforce is getting smaller. Canadian cannabis producer Canopy Growth slashed approximately 8% of its workforce Tuesday as part of sweeping changes across the company designed to help stem recent losses and nudge the struggling company to profitability. The latest round of layoffs amounts to 245 people, according to the company, and comes as Canopy struggles with falling sales in Canada. The company has yet to turn a profit. In a news release late Tuesday, Canopy acknowledged the reduced headcount and said it expects the adjustments to generate up to $150 million Canadian dollars in savings in 12 to 18 months. My hesitation is I'm starting to think, okay, how many people was that? And it's that many people, that many million? Were you paying people that much? <laughs> is my math wrong? 245 people and 150 million dollars? Wow. I think I understand why you're not making a profit. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, a bit of a sidebar there. 
The Smith Falls, Ontario based company also warned the latest measures would result in no cash charges worth 250 million Canadian dollars to 300 in the fourth quarter of this year, mostly stemming from write downs and excess inventory. In addition, Canopy expects to incur between 100 and 250 million dollars in non cash impairment charges driven by goodwill and intangible asset impairments. The newest layoffs mean roughly 1,600 people at Canopy have lost or left their jobs since 2020. David Klein's inaugural year as chief executive. According to a recent research study by New York-based financial services firm Canfor Fitzgerald, Canopy's market share in January to March quarter fell to just 7% from more than 11% one year ago, citing data from analytics company HiFire. The note said Canopy's recreational cannabis sales tumbled 23% in the markets tracked by HiFire versus the October-December quarter. The latest cuts come months after Canopy announced the planned closure of one of its flagship cultivation facilities, a sprawling 23-acre property in Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ontario, late last year. And that move also resulted in dozens of job losses. So unfortunately, Canopy's still having some issues with employment in various areas of our country. Not sure what's going to happen with big cannabis. Perhaps the answer could lie in the next story which is from my friends at the Okanagan Z, David Wiley, the publisher, of course, and this article, special to the OZ, was written by Susan Dupege. Three years into the federal legalization of cannabis in Canada, almost all the pieces are in place for growth of a robust cannabis tourism industry except one. Cannabis tourism includes the variety of activities, events, and places that are part of any vacation or travel plans that incorporate cannabis. What's missing are the rules around consuming cannabis socially in public settings, highlighting a broader issue about cannabis legalization in Canada. My recent research on the cannabis industry suggests that integrating cannabis consumption into tourism will have positive social impacts toward normalization, acceptance, and tolerance of cannabis. Reframing a once demonized substance as a legitimate recreational resource, tourism can play an important role in challenging stigma. And I have to sidebar this. Wow. I have wanted to hear those words from from somebody for a long, long time. Susan, I'm impressed so far. Let's get to the rest of this article. What is cannabis tourism? Similar to findings from the United States, preliminary Canadian market research around cannabis travel point to untapped economic opportunities for incorporating cannabis into travel experiences. This interest is likely to increase as attitudes become more open towards cannabis. Cannabis tourism can include a variety of services and experiences such as tour companies, booking platforms, cannabis-friendly accommodations, lounges, bud-tending services, spas, consumer trade shows, specialty travel guides, retail locations, as well as events such as festivals, comedy shows, and others. In all of its forms, cannabis tourism is an educational platform for sharing different types of knowledge about growing the plant, understanding how cannabis interacts with the body, legally purchasing cannabis, the different product types available, the different ways to consume cannabis, and the cultural context surrounding cannabis in different locations. If the iconic coffee shops of Amsterdam have taught us anything, it's that the ability to purchase and consume cannabis in a lounge-type setting, without fear of reprimand by the authorities or judgment by the general public, attracts tourism. The ability to legally consume cannabis in public for social, recreational, and leisure purposes offers timely opportunities for businesses and the tourism and hospitality industry hit hard by the pandemic. Yet, 
a regulation gap has prevented the development of spaces in which people can responsibly consume cannabis products. In order for the cannabis tourism industry to move forward in a socially responsible and sustainable way, regulation is required in the area of cannabis consumption. Closing the regulatory gap around cannabis consumption requires two things. First, legislators must set aside outdated, uninformed, and mistaken ideas that associate cannabis with deviancy and illegitimate behavior. Education has a significant role to play changing perceptions. Second, regulation around consumption must be thought of as an extension of the cannabis supply chain in Canada. Similar to the legal production and sale of cannabis, spaces of public consumption can be regulated through licensing. Obtaining a license would enable a business to offer patrons the option of legally consuming cannabis on premises. One level of hospitality licensing could include the on-site consumption of prepackaged foods and beverages, which would allow an individual to purchase an edible at a cafe or lounge and consume it at the same establishment. Another layer of licensing could address temporary events, such as concerts and festivals, with designated outdoor consumption areas for combustibles. Licensing also needs to address infused food and beverages prepared and served by restaurants. And I have to take another sidebar here, because... The rooftop consumption lounge that I just experienced at the BC Cannabis Summit demonstrated to a T how well it can work with no problems, no fights, no issues, nobody had any concerns. End of sidebar. Regulations are a great way to promote Canada as a safe destination to experience cannabis and entice the global travel audience. Beyond economic benefits, Regulating cannabis consumption supports the government's own objectives of reducing risk and supporting public health. Most significantly, Canada is in a position to be a global leader in setting an international precedent for socially responsible and informed policy for an historically stigmatized and misunderstood substance. But a vibrant cannabis tourism industry in Canada is being held back by a lack of clear and meaningful rules. Regulations enabling public cannabis consumption will open up a new frontier for cannabis in Canada and at the same time push forward a socially responsible and progressive agenda for tourism that benefits tourists and citizens alike. Dr. Suzanne Dupage is a Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council postdoctoral fellow at the University of Guelph in the School of Hospitality, Food and Tourism Management. Her current research interests focus on the impact of cannabis legalization on Canada's tourism industry. Excellent article, Susan. You can find that yourself in the link associated to this episode. That's what's missing. (laughs) And again, it was demonstrated at the rooftop lounge that it works. We need to open up. We need to allow consumption of cannabis in spaces where people can gather and socialize. That's what it's all about. Studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley. This is the Cannabis Podcast. And let me finish with a story that kind of demonstrates cannabis is, I don't know how it affects our memory, and sometimes our memory gets a little cloudy, perhaps. <laughs> you know, not those short term issues that you know come when you're smoking it, but that kind of medium term issues where you. Let me tell you the story. Perhaps you'll understand. I was contacted probably two or three weeks before the BC Cannabis Summit by a young lady named Robin. And Robin works for a company called BudSense. BudSense is basically a, an, an aggregator 
of all of the various data associated to a cannabis dispensary or a cannabis retail store and allows you to refunction, repurpose, and, and do all kinds of things with that data in terms of your digital displays, your, your printed menus, allows you to manipulate it in, you know, with a whole lot of sense and, and a whole lot of ease. So pretty cool technology. She had approached me about this, and, and again, I, I knew I knew the name BudSense, but we had not had a conversation at this point. Now, here we are. The conference is going on now. Again, let me backtrack a bit, because Robin had then, what she approached me about was, she wondered if I would consent to doing some interviews, some video interviews with her and answer some questions about my experience with cannabis and the cannabis industry. And I, of course, said, absolutely. Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. Then I arrived at the conference, and now we are into the third day of the conference, and I have not yet, Robin, ha- have not yet met Robin. <laughs> I, I have gotten stoned, so, so that will explain part of what's going on. But I'm now in the trade show area of the conference, where, of course, there were many vendors who were promoting their products and, and trying to entice people to purchase them. And there was this display bud sense. And here's where the cannabis confusion comes in, because I, I see this sign and I go, gee, I've heard that. Where, where have I heard that lately? And I walk up and I start talking to Ashley, who was one of the young women working the booth. And standing beside her was a, another young woman named Robin. And you know they were telling me about the product and how it integrates with all the various POS and, and, and display technology that's out there. And, and it was pretty cool. We had a good chat. And I walked away and looked at a couple other things, and I was actually now heading to my uh, my talk. The stigma panel was just about to begin. So uh, I'm at the stigma panel. Now, remember, as I approached that booth, I thought, butt sense, butt sense, where, where is that? And why is that ringing a bell? So I'm now in the room where the stigma panel is about to begin. It's probably five, ten minutes away. <laughs> and the Robin, who was standing at the booth, approached me and said, Hi, Gary, I'm I'm Robin. Remember, I contacted you and I went, that's the connection to BudSense. <laughs> and I went, oh, the light finally went off in my brain and I realized that Robin was the woman who had contacted me before and asked me to do videos. And guess what? That's what she was here for now. So we went out, we, we found a good spot outside the Hotel El Dorado. We were actually at Manteo, the other facility, part of the, owned by the same people and part of the conference, but more on the lakeside, and really right at the lake. Found a really nice setting. She asked me a number of different questions and videoed them. She's spreading them out on social media. You might be able to see some of them out there. I do remember one of the responses that that she asked me for, because in my typical fashion, I was a little bit flippant. (laughs) And that was, she said, so what do you like most about the cannabis industry? And I thought about it for a moment. I said, well, I guess the first thing I like about the cannabis industry is the cannabis. (laughs) Clearly, that's my first law. But as a secondary element to that, it would be the camaraderie. It's the people in the cannabis industry that, for me, really make it vibrant and alive and a a pleasure to be in. It's because there's not so much competition in the cannabis industry. It's more just a collection of a group of people all setting out to do the same thing and achieve some success with it. That's what I love about the cannabis industry. And with those words, I'll say that that's probably it for episode 96 of the Cannabis Podcast. 
I want to thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate that you're here for the ride. If you ever have any comments on anything you hear, please send a note to info at cannabispodcast.com. And if you feel so inclined and you like what you hear, feel free to go to buymeacoffee.com slash cannabispodcast and buy me a doobie. That's it for episode 96 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the Cannabis Infused Studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Canachicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they build their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.